the book of Job as a whole concerns itself with the question of faith in a sovereign God. In other words, can God be trusted? I think that's what the book of Job is presenting to us. Is He good? Is He just in His rule of the world? When reading the book of Job, we discover that the reason for human suffering often remains a secret to human beings. However, one does not need to fully understand God's will in order to be faithful while we're suffering. We don't need to know everything that's going on as to why God's doing in order to be faithful. What is it we see when we look at the book of Job, especially here in these first two chapters? We see a godly man. We see a worshiper of God. We see someone whose life is going along smoothly. Life is good. And then out of nowhere comes tragedy and suffering. Difficult times are hard to bear and can be even harder for us to understand. The difficult circumstances we face, we find ourselves facing, uh, we usually have the question of why, right? All of us have that question. Why did this happen? We ask, why is God allowing this? What have I done wrong? That's me a lot of times. Something goes wrong in your life. You're like, okay, what did I do? What did I do wrong? That's usually our first thought, right? We've always had to have done something wrong for something bad to be going on in our life, but that's not the case. We look for explanations to the hard times in our lives, and we feel confused, we're frustrated. And before long, we begin to doubt God's concern for us. Even as God's people, we can do that. We can see in the book of Job that the believer is never alone. Regardless of what's going on, the believer is never alone. God's always there. We can see in the book of Job that God is there. He's standing right in the middle when trouble comes in the lives of His people. Today, as we look at this text, we'll see two, two things. And this should be on your handout. We'll see that there is a reason for suffering. There's a reason. There's nothing suffering. There's no type of suffering that comes in this world that it does not come for a reason. And because we see the reason for suffering, we'll see how we're to face suffering and how we can make it through times of suffering. The second thing we see is that suffering and the worthiness of God go hand in hand. It's interesting to note that the book of Job is in a section of the Bible that's commonly referred to as the wisdom books of the Bible. I found it interesting that Job is in that section. You and I are fortunate, I think, to have the Bible, but I think we're fortunate to have the book of Job. We, unlike Job, we get to see behind the scenes of what's going on here. Job wasn't privy to what was going on behind the scenes, but we get to see it. You and I have the privilege of acquiring wisdom, wisdom we can apply in times of suffering in our lives. I think, I know that the book of Job is an actual account of what happened in history. It's not some made-up story. This is words inspired by the Spirit of God to be pinned down for His people to know that God is worthy. So if you're looking at your handout, the main idea is there is God is worthy in all circumstances of being worshipped by His people. Let's look at um, this. Some of this will go, as I said, it will go rather quickly. Some of it will slow down. But if you're looking at your handout there, here's what we see. We see the character and the prosperity of Job in verses 1 through 3. Now Richard read this text. There will be times when I'll stop and read the verses, but we've read them. And for the sake of time, I won't read all of them again, but at times I will. Notice the character of Job in verse 1. Job was what? Blameless, upright, and fearing God, turning from evil. What we have here is God telling us that Job was what? This is a godly man. However, we need to understand, based on this description of Job, that he was not perfect. He was not without sin. 
That word blameless refers to his integrity as it relates to his life toward God. If you were to read through the book of Job and continue reading, you, you would see that Job even makes a statement himself that he was not perfect, that he was not without sin. The author of the book of Job is making a comparative statement here concerning Job. Look at Job. It's a way to compare. The author wants to make sure that there's no doubt about who Job is. To imagine a man more upright and godly would be difficult to do. That's the whole point. Look at Job. It would be hard to find anybody more upright, more godly than Job. The author wants the reader to have these facts in mind when he gets to verse 13 down through verse 10 of chapter 2. He wants you to know this and have this in mind. Notice the prosperity of Job in verses 2 and 3. Job was prosperous in relation to what? There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had how many children? Do the math. Ten. A large family. Large families, believe it or not, in biblical times were seen as a what? A blessing from God. And let me add this. It still should be that way today. God had given Job a rich heritage, had he not? Notice verse 3. Job was also prosperous in what? Material possessions. Again, wealth was measured in those days in terms of what? Land, animals, and servants. Job, everything he had was what? In abundance. Job was the greatest and richest man, it says here. He, he surpassed all others. Job's wealth was staggering. Job's would, if you, Job was within the Forbes 500 of his day. You know what that is? Forbes 500 is the listing of the, most, uh, the richest people in the world. In that day, that magazine, you opened it up, Job would be number one. He'd be at the top. Well, notice there next, after looking at verses 1 through 3, we see the faith in the family of Job. Job's family, verse um, 4. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with him. How many sons did he have? Seven. He had three daughters. He had ten children. And what we see here is they gathered each day in the home of one of those sons, and they had a feast, which meant they did it what? A whole week, every day of the week. They did this every single day. It went from one house to the other. And what we see here is not some self-indulgent type of feast of drinking, but it's a gathering of worshiping and giving praise to who? God for His blessings. Instead, we see Job's family enjoying the abundant blessings of God. And they did this how often? Seven days a week. Notice Job's faith in verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did continually. So we see that a family has as its leader here a loving, godly man. One who was committed to honor God. Job had a reverence for God's name. He knew the sinfulness of man's heart. He knew the potential for man to sin. And he knew... Notice what Job did. At the end of every week after they went through their feasting, what would Job do? He would offer up a sacrifice for his children. In Old Testament times, a sacrifice of an animal meant what? Shedding of blood. Which was... For what? To remove sin. And in the Old Testament, it did it for one year. It just pushed it forward. But what is this pointing us to? The shedding of blood which would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. This is a picture pointing us to 
Christ who would shed His blood once and for all for the sins of the world. And Job knew that there's the potential even in my family, my godly family for sin, so I'm going to offer up a sacrifice. You see the word perhaps there? It means just in case. Just in case there were simple acts committed, Job loved his family and again was committed to honor God. How do we know that? I put emphasis on the last word of verse 5. How often did Job do this? Continually. Job shows us that even in prosperity, he trusted and he acknowledged God. He has all the abundance of blessings in the world, and still he says, I need to honor God with this. I need to be, uh, even in my prosperity and all that I have. Here's a way for us to apply that. Is that your response to your prosperity and your blessings in life? Or do you become independent and push God to the side during those times of blessings? Do you forget how much you need God? We all do that, right? God blesses us. Life is good. We're wearing the hat that says life is good and the t-shirt and everything's going good. Y'all seen those, right? Everything's going good. And and what does God become? He kind of gets pushed to the outside, right? Until something goes wrong and then we do what? We, We run for Him. But Job says, no, even in prosperity, do you forget how much you need God? Be careful with what God blesses you with. Job knew the danger of even God's blessings. He shows us how to respond in the midst of prosperity. He worships God and he continues to trust God. But now beginning in verse 6 through verse 10 of chapter 2, we see a, a sequence that takes place here. And on your handout there you have outline, point number 3, outline. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to be repeated twice if you're looking at your handout. There's going to be a meeting in heaven... There's going to be a trial or suffering, and then there's going to be a response to that suffering. So that's how this kind of plays out. So looking at verses 6 and 12, notice this first meeting in heaven. Verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and, and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there's... None like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him... Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In verse 6, there's kind of a strange gathering there, right? What do we see? We see these sons of God. So we're asking the question, who is that? Well, these are angels that God created whose job was to patrol the earth and to watch and protect. And they're coming before God and they're going to give an account of their activities. God, here's what we've been doing. Here's what we've been seeing. Now, God is not unaware of things. They're coming to give an account of what they've been assigned to do. But who else shows up? Satan. It says he also came along. Now who is Satan? Accuser. Slanderer. He's showing up here. Notice that phrase there, also came among them. It's a phrase that seems to distinguish Satan from the rest of those who were there. In other words, he's an outsider. He has a role that's against that of the others that are gathered. But notice the conversation. We read these verses between God and Satan. God asks Satan, where do you come from? Again, God doesn't need to be informed. He's he's not ignorant. He knows where he's been. Understand that God doesn't need any information from Satan. He wants to make clear 
Satan's location in the world. That's what he's wanting to do. Notice how Satan responds. God says, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. Does that remind you of a passage in the New Testament? Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's a great example in the Old Testament. Satan's purpose here is to test the character of God's people. That's what he showed up to do. He's also looking for those who are disloyal. He's looking for those he can what? Accuse. He's there to slander and to accuse the people of God. Look at verse 8. God responds to Satan's roaming and looking for those who are disloyal by drawing attention to Job. Not just anyone, but notice how God refers to Job. Three words that jump off the page at me. My servant Job. Can you imagine God telling Satan that you're his servant? Consider my servant Billy. God saying that to Satan. Consider my servant Jerry. Can you imagine God doing that to Satan? Have you thought about this one? Notice the next statement. This could be the very reason that Job is going to suffer. Why should Satan consider Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Have you considered him? Have you considered my servant Job? Job may well be going to suffer because of God's delight in him. Verses 9 and 10. Satan responds to God. He he actually kind of taunts God because in the Hebrew, this is an imperative. He's commanding God. He taunts God. He's sarcastic about God's statement in verse 8. And Satan says that God's blessings are on Job are nothing more than bribes. God, you're just bribing Job. Surely, God, you don't think Job would do all he does out of you, do for you if you weren't rewarding him and blessing him. Think about what Satan's doing here. He's questioning the worthiness of God. That's exactly what he's doing. Job would not worship you, God, if you didn't do all these things for him. God, you're not worthy of love and adoration and worship simply because of who you are. Without blessings, no one, not even Job, would worship and adore you. God, you are not worthy of worship. That's what he's saying. Satan says that Job is not a good example of faithfulness because you've hedged him in. He has all this stuff. The only reason he serves you, the only reason he cares anything about you, God, is because you've given him all this stuff. No wonder he serves you. Who wouldn't serve you under these conditions? That's what Satan's saying. Verse 11. I read that. I'm going to read it again. Satan says to God, If Job is put to the test, God, then the self-serving loyalty of Job will be revealed. You put him to the test, and you'll find out just how godly Job is. Satan predicts that Job will do what? You put him to the test, and what will Job do to you, God? He'll what? He'll curse you. Job will become so angry, he will curse you. Let me ask you, as a way of applying this, is my faith in God dependent only on the good He does for me? Is my faith in God dependent only upon the good He does for me? Let me tell you this, that's not faith, that's religion. That's not faith, that's religion. Ask yourself, why do I serve God? Is it just for what I can get from Him? Is it just what I get from God that causes me to serve Him? The gospel is not that we get gifts from God. 
That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that we get God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not even that we get heaven and miss hell. Even though those are true, the gospel is that we get God. No gospel, no God. We get God through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the way that we are made right with God. Through Jesus, we can turn from our sin and trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of sin, and we are made right with God. The gospel is that we get God. It's not that we get blessings. God blesses us, but we don't come to God for blessings. We come to God because we get God. Verse 12, God says, okay, what has Satan just done? He says, all right, God, take everything away, and, and, and Job will curse you. And God says, okay, we'll see about that. Listen. What's taking place here? Sometimes people look at this and they go, this is a battle between good and evil. Throw that thought out of your mind. That's not what's going on here. Can I tell you, God is in control from start to finish. There's never a battle going on here between good and evil. God says, okay, but notice what God does. He sets limits. Notice what He says. Only against Him do not stretch out your hand. God's in control. He sets the limits on what Satan can do. What's God doing? Here's what I think he's doing. He's going to use Job to show his glory. He's going to use Job to disprove Satan. That's what he's going to do. Remember God's question to Satan? Do you remember the question that God asked Satan? Satan is there to do what? Accuse and slander. What does God say? Have you considered my servant Job? Mark Dever who pastors Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Here's what he says about this situation here. I love this. He's talking about the sovereignty of God, and here's what he says. He says, Job is the cheese on the mousetrap of God's sovereignty, and he slides it in front of Satan, knowing that Satan's going to do what? He's going to jump on it. Job is the cheese on the mousetrap. He slides it in front of Satan, knowing that Satan is going to jump on it. What does this tell us? God is in control. He's the one in charge. He has Satan exactly where he wants him. You may be saying, how could God do such a thing to one of His very own people? I thought about this this week. Do you realize what an honor this is for Job? First he calls Job his servant. Then he says, have you considered my servant Job? By the way, there's nobody like him on the face of the earth. What an honor for any Christian. God could just speak here and the power of His words would destroy Satan. Could He not? But yet God will use Satan's attack on Job to show His glory. He's going to use Job to show that I am worthy of worship. Let me ask you a question. Do you see your suffering in the same way? Do you see your suffering as a means for God to demonstrate His glory in your life? Do you ever look at that and say... This very well could be in my life that God is going to take this and He's going to glorify Himself in my life. God may very well be looking at Satan going, Hey, have you considered my servant? There's nobody like this person. Have you considered this person Satan? Well, notice the trial that results from this meeting in heaven, verses 13 through 19. The scene moves back uh, to earth. <clears throat> to the, Listen. It moves back to the earth, and people on the earth, Job, is unaware of this conversation that's going on in heaven. He has no idea. 
Unknown to Job, he now becomes involved in a demonstration of how God rules the world. In verses 14 through 19, God uses Job for his purposes. And here's what I want you to understand. There is a purpose for your suffering. God has a reason and a purpose for your suffering. Any suffering you go through is not just something that happens. God has a reason for it. Notice in verse 13 that Job's children are carrying their normal routine. They were in the oldest brother's house, so it was the beginning of the week. And Job had just finished doing what? Offering a a sacrifice... The author wants to make sure that we understand that there was no secret sin going on in the life of Job and his family. Job is not being punished for sinning. How do we know that? Because Job has just went and made a sacrifice and called out to God for forgiveness. And God always does what when we confess our sins? He forgives. So these people are not being punished because of sin. Disaster strikes Job. And there are four different messages that are brought to Job here. Look at verse 14. And there came a messenger to Job. Now listen as I read these words. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the savings fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Within just a short period of time, Job loses what? He loses all his wealth. He loses all his family. There's not a break between each message. Did you notice? Picture this. One guy comes and he's telling Job, here's what's happened. And before he can get through, another guy shows up and starts telling him this has happened. And before that guy can get through, a third guy shows up. And can you imagine there's these four people around Job and they're just telling him all this information all at one time? Before they can finish a message of bad news, another one shows up with more bad news. And just when Job may have thought it can't get any worse, it actually gets worse, right? Notice in verses 20 and 22, there's a response to this trial, this suffering. Before I get there, I want to remind you, what did say, Satan say would happen with Job? He'll curse God. You take it away, and he will curse you. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job does the exact opposite. What does he do? He worships God. I came into this world without anything, and I'll leave in the same way. God gives and God takes away. What's he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is saying that all of this is from the hand of God. Even in great loss, Job sees the hand of God. He knows that God's in control. 
What is Job showing us here? Job shows us the worthiness of God. He says God is worthy. He shows us that he values God. Listen, he values God more than possessions. Can we say that? We value God more than possessions. Can you imagine the pain of Job? He just lost everything. And yet his response is to do what in his suffering? Worship God. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice what it says. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Here's how we can apply this. When difficult times come, can you or do you respond like Job? Do you respond like Job when difficult times come in your life? Do you worship God when difficult times come? And you might be saying, what in the world could possibly make me worship God in my suffering? Two words. The Gospel. Think of it this way. What if there was no Gospel? What if there was no Jesus, no salvation, no reconciliation to God? What if none of that was there and you still had suffering to go through? What makes me worship during suffering is the Gospel. Religion will not allow you to respond this way. Job responds to the amazing grace of God. And Christian, you should respond with worship because of the Gospel. Does it do away with suffering? No, it does not. Notice next, quickly here, the second meeting in heaven, starting in chapter 2. We'll go through these kind of quickly here. The audience is the same. You have the sons of God and Satan, and they come before God again, right? Verse 2, God repeats His question, asking Satan, Where you been, Satan? What does He say? I've been roaming, and I've been looking. Some things just never change. Verse 3, God once again asks Satan, You remember I told you Job has no idea this is going on in heaven? At this point in time, I think if he did, I think he'd go, Hey, forget me being the servant. I've had enough. Notice what he says to Satan. What about my servant Job? Have you considered him? Why does God do that? You ever wonder why God does that? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. But notice this time God adds something about Job. Notice what he says. He still what? Holds fast his integrity. In spite of your taunt, Satan, nothing has changed. Job did not change. Notice what else God says. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. God says that there was nothing about Job that caused him to afflict Job. Job had done nothing wrong. But there was a reason for the suffering. It was for what? It was for God's purposes. That's what his suffering was for. What would those purposes be? Those purposes would be to show Satan's claims as false and to show God is worthy of worship, regardless of circumstances. Satan had been questioning what? The loyalty of Job. And by doing so, he was questioning the worthiness of God. God, you're not worthy of worship. Take it all away, and he'll not worship you. Verses 4 and 5. Once again, Satan responds... He's questioning Job's loyalty to God. He's, he's still questioning the worthiness of God. Satan is saying that a man will do whatever is necessary to save himself. Satan says, in spite of the fact 
that he's once already been proved wrong. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. What is he saying there? All right, God, you took everything away and he didn't curse you. But I guarantee you this, if you come against him physically, Job will curse you. Verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Notice what it says next. Only what? Spare his life. God is still in control. Notice in verses 7 and 8, Job is struck with a disease that covers his entire body. Verse 8, Job goes out to where the lepers go. He goes out to the ash heap, the garbage dump outside the city, and he gets his Old Testament first aid kit, broken pottery, and he takes it out there and he scrapes the boils on it. Picture that. Going outside the city on the garbage dump, and he sits up there and he scrapes the sores on his body. In chapter 7, verse 5, Job says this, My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. Picture that. He's lost everything. He's lost his children. There's great sorrow. He's grieved to the depths of his soul. And now he's reduced to sitting on the garbage dump outside the city, scraping sores on his body with a piece of broken pottery. Question. Who is Job? He's a man that what? Fears God. He's a blameless man. He's a man that when he lost his earthly possession, still holds fast to his integrity. God is worthy. Have you considered my servant Job? He'll show you how worthy I am. Look at verse 9 and 10. Here's the response. Now, Job's wife comes on the scene. She's been there, I think, she's been there all along. Right there with Job, stunned with all that's happened and grieving. You know, most of us, um, let me say it this way, Job's wife kind of gets a bad rap for her response. Most of the time she does. But it's quite possible she's been holding to her faith just as Job has. She's been there, but now Job's very life is threatened, is it not? If Job dies, his wife knows that her, what her fate will be, right? Women couldn't live without a husband in those days. She just could not survive. What does she tell Job to do? She says, Job, curse God and die. Give up on God. Job, you're almost dead. Just end it. Curse God. Maybe He'll have pity on you and finish you off. Notice how Job responds to his wife. What, guys, I wouldn't advise you to do this. <clears throat> he calls his wife foolish. Um, the word foolish here is not like you and I think of it. It means a lack of spiritual discernment. That's what it means. A lack of spiritual discernment. Having a lapse of spiritual discernment. Job knows that it's a sin to do what? Curse God. Go back to chapter 1 verse 5. What is Job saying to his wife? He's saying to his wife, don't act like foolish people. You're one of God's children. Act like it. God is worthy. That's what he's saying to his wife. The rest of verse 10 Here's the theme, I think, of the book of Job. 
Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not watch sin with his lips. What is Job saying? Job's saying it's equally right for God to give gifts and it's equally right for Him to take them away. What's Job's attitude in all this? Notice what it says. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So we come to the end, right? There's somebody we have forgotten about at this point. Who do you think it is? Who, who have we forgotten when we get to the end of the story? We're thinking about Job. We've seen his wife. But who's the one that kind of instigated and started all this? Satan. We forgot about him. What about Satan? Picture what's going on. Job's life's a wreck. He's on this ash heap. He's scraping the sores with broken pottery. His wife's saying, Job just curse God and die. And Job responds with what? Worship toward God. And all this Job didn't sin with his lips. Picture Satan. Satan's watching. He's, he's seen Job lose everything. And now Job hears his wife respond. The Satan is on the end of his seat. He's like, it's coming. It's coming. Job is going to curse God. He's waiting for Job to respond. See, God, I told you what Job would do. How does Job respond? God is worthy. Can you imagine Satan at that point in time? Job says, God is worthy of love and adoration. Worship regardless of circumstances in life. He's worthy of our worship. Let's finish this by me giving you some application here. And I say this with caution. I love my family dearly. I like my possessions. I've learned not to love them. And health are important to me. But Satan will tell us that family and possessions or health are more important than God. He wants to make you value something other than Jesus as your treasure. That's what Satan wants to do to you. The next thing we need to understand is that God's in control. Satan acts according to God's sovereign purposes in this world. Nothing comes your way that at first does not go through the hands of God. Nothing. And thirdly, God seeks to magnify His worth in the life of His people. And if that means bringing suffering in your life to do that, so be it. As a believer, affirm that God has a purpose in all things. When suffering comes in your life, you ask the question, you say, there must be a purpose, there has to be a purpose in my life for this happening. Stand on the faithfulness and promises of God and worship God in your suffering. Here's something else I want you to understand. Grieving is not wrong in suffering. Can I be honest with you? I've been grieving for six years now. Every single day. Grief is not an indication of unbelief or a lack of faith. Worship God in your grieving. Look at Job. Job was grieving, but he continued to what? Worship God. Trust that God is good. Make God your treasure. Make Him your joy. Whatever comes in life. And lastly, view your life as being intended for God's purposes. Remind yourself, my life is not about me. God wants to demonstrate His worth through your life. One last thing, and we'll finish.
Horatio Spafford. That's a name you don't hear every day. You may have heard it. He was a prominent lawyer. And uh, being a lawyer had brought him considerable wealth. But the great Chicago fire, we've heard about that in history, destroyed and sort of financially destroyed him. And afterwards, Spafford sent his wife and his four children, four precious little girls, on a ship to England. Halfway across the Atlantic, the ship they was on collided with another ship, and over 200 people drowned, including Spafford's four little girls. When Spafford's wife finally made it to England, she sent a telegram to him, and it said, Saved alone. He got on the next boat across the ocean, going to England, and the story has it when the boat he was on stopped at the point where the other ship sank, where his four little girls drowned, Here's what Spafford did. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How many of y'all familiar with that song? In the book of James, which we just finished in chapter 5, verse 11, here's what James says about Job. One word, he was patient. Job stood firm, he persevered, and he endured the trial. And when it was all toward the end, he said three things. He said three words. God is worth. God is worthy of our worship, regardless 